First Peter chapter one this evening. First Peter chapter one. In uh, two thousand four, in Raleigh Durham, North Carolina, Raleigh and Durham, North Carolina, is a university you might have heard of. It's a small little school. It's called Duke University. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but. They also have a hospital there, just much like the U of R here. And in 2004, a maintenance worker drained the hydraulic oil out of the elevator to change it. So he did this, but he put it in a 55-gallon drum that was marked detergent. Through a series of mistakes and paperwork... This drum was begun to be used as a sterilization for surgical instruments. It lasted two months or 3,800 surgeries before they figured it out. Washing instruments in hydraulic fluid, I don't know if you understand this, but it's not in a very effective way of sterilization. The biggest question was what kind of damage was done to the patients. No one was quite sure of the petroleum residue and what that might do to people. The head of the hospital said in a statement, we want to give the message uh, to people that we care about our patients, and no doubt they do, but the instruments weren't safe. And no much how much they say they cared... They were perform or having a contaminated instrument. I'm going to minister tonight on the issue of holiness. And without holiness, that's a contaminated instrument. The writer of this article who was in Christianity Today said, A church that is careless about holiness is like that. We may care about people, but we endanger them nonetheless. It isn't enough to share the gospel with the lost. We must be sure to act in a holy way to teach them holiness in their lives, lest we harm people. In our text, we're going to read, Peter quotes the Old Testament, Be holy as God is holy. First Peter chapter One, beginning in verse 13, it says, So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live God as God's obedient children and do not slip back into your old ways, living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture says, you must be holy because I am holy. Remember that your heavenly Father, to whom you pray, has no favorites. He will judge and reward you according to what you do. So therefore, you must live in reverent fear during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom for you, for, uh, uh, for you know that God 
paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was paid with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb. The word holiness in our text and throughout the New Testament simply means to be sacred. It literally means to be pure. It has the thought of physical purity. It has the thought of moral purity. It has the thought of ceremonial purity. It is also the thought of being a saint and can be translated as a saint or someone who is in heaven. And so this is something that is there about uh, Peter is bringing out and he starts his letter out uh, after he gets through the greeting. The first thing he deals with is you must be holy. He begins to talk about the mind. He says this is the warning area. He says, starts this out, so prepare your minds, exercise self-control, put in the hope, and don't slip back into the old ways. Romans puts it this way, Paul said, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into the new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for your life, that which is good and pleasing and perfect The mind is where most Christian battles are either won or lost. That it is how you think that begins to affect your actions. People who drift away from holiness, one author said, they are apart from a grace-driven effort. People who do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to scriptures, faith, they do cannot delight the Lord. We drift through compromise and call it tolerance. We drift through disobedience and call it freedom. We drift through superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indisciplines of loss of self-control and call it relaxation, we slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into think that we've escaped legalism, we slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. That's the danger that happens up here. We play the mental gymnastics. We play the mental gymnastics about God. We play the mental gymnastics about sin. We play the mental gymnastics about life. We begin to look and figure out how we can, instead of getting closer to God, how close we can get, what can we get away with? Slipping is the term that's used here. I came out my front door recently to check the mail and I slipped on my front step. Right? It's a loss of balance. It can happen very suddenly. The thought of slipping. You lose your ability to control. For that moment, you're not in control. You're at the liberties of of gravity and other things around you. You're not the one who has the ability to secure yourself. When we do this spiritually, we're not secure. Hebrews 2.1 says we must take more... We must listen very carefully to the truth that we've heard or we may drift away from it. The thought of drifting away from holiness that 
awe, that reverence of God. Because what is holiness? Our text says you must be holy in everything you do, for God is holy. Hallowed be thy name is more or less saying holy or separate or sanctified or set apart is your name. Peter goes on to write in chapter 2 in verse 9, he says, But you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation or a holy people. You are God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others godly, uh, goodness, uh, the goodness of God, for He has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Pastor Mitchell once said that historically Pentecostals have abandoned, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, historically Pentecostals have been admonished believers not to use alcohol, tobacco, or entertainment that depicts moral decadency. He goes, he would go on to talk about music, television, before the internet, before these things. And so you have all of this at work. The mark of the people is that they were to be different. That's part of the word of holiness. It's separated. We've been looking at our Sunday school on the feasts and part of it is a holy day. It's where we get the term holiday. A day that's different. Christmas is different than any other 25th of the year. July 4th is different from any other 4th of the year, right? They're holidays, right? They're not the same as uh, uh, any other day. You have uh, days off of work. There's There's picnics. There's all sorts of things that happen on those days, feasts or family or whatever, that isn't just the norm. It's a different day. And so in holiness, Christian, a mark of Christianity was to be different. It's very interesting that God put his mark on the people through circumcision. And this had to do with morals and it had to do just for the men. Female circumcision is not, it's a wicked Muslim thing. It has nothing to do with God. But the reality, it was a mark on the people of God. You were going to be different than everyone else around you. Holiness means that we live in a way that is pleasing to God. Holiness has more to do with who you are than what you do. That's why Peter talks about the mind. Because what we can do, we become masters at checklists. We check the list. Right? I did this. Check. I've been serving God so long. Check. I've been, I, you know, I can name most of the books in the New Testament. Check. Right? We get out the list and we go through it and we think that's going to be enough. But holiness has more to do with who you are than what you do. Things that are called holy in the Bible, how do you react to them? The Holy Spirit. When he deals with you, when he touches an area of your life, how do you react to it? He's faithful to convict, but we dismiss it. The Holy Scriptures. Do you read your Bible? 
Do you like what you read in your Bible? The holy tithe. Marked out by God. It's holy. You're not supposed to touch it. The holy assembly. The holy temple, which is your body. First Corinthians. Do you not know that you are the holy temple in whom the Spirit of God lives? If those things are holy to God, are they holy to you? Or is your Bible something that you use just to prompt up your other monitor so that you're, they're equal? How holy are those things? Hebrews 12, verse 14, the work at the living, uh, work at living in peace with everyone, work at living a holy life. For those who do not live a holy life will not see the Lord. So if you don't treat what he calls holy, holy, he can't call you holy. Where's the battle? The battle's in the mind. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. So this has to do with how we function, not just in church, but out of church. How we handle situations, circumstances of life. Because it says in our text, in verse 16, for the scripture says, you must be holy because I am holy. This is a quote out of Leviticus 11.44, Leviticus 9.2, Leviticus 20 and verse 7. These are put out there. In fact, uh, Aaron's garments would have on their, on the, uh, on his turban in front, holiness to the Lord. It would be right there for everyone to see. Right in front, holiness to the Lord. A.W. Tozer wrote and said that God is holy. And holiness is the moral condition necessary for the health of of the universe. Whatever is holy is healthy. The holiness of God, the wrath of God, the health of creation are in are inseparably united. God's wrath is his utter intolerance of whatever degrades and destroys. He hates impurity just as a mother hates the polio that would take his her child's life. Says God is holy and sin, disobedience is not acceptable. But it's interesting it says You must be holy because God is holy. But to some people I've met, God's kind of soft. He's like, yeah, whatever. I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. Just try your best. To some people, God is blind and deaf. He only sees you when you're in church. As a Catholic, I grew up, and they would have a box behind the altar. And they would tell you that's where God lived. And I always kind of picture, if what would God do if he lived in our building? Maybe play the drums? I don't know. 
learn to figure, you know, play guitar. But I, I, you know, he doesn't just live here. He goes with you. He follows you. He sees what you see. He hears what you say. He hears what you hear. Some actually believe that God's unrighteous. That he doesn't hate sin. That sin's okay. Disobedience is okay. Because after all, we're under grace. Leviticus 11, 43 and 44. You shall not make for yourselves an abomination with any creeping thing that creeps. You shall not make for yourselves an uh, unclean with them, lest you defile you're defiled by them, for I am the Lord your God. And you shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourself with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So he brings out here that you've got to then strive. So the question is, how close to the line of sin are you trying to get without crossing it? Or maybe you have crossed it, but you think, hey, I'm not as bad as them. Or how close are you trying to get to God? Because holiness makes you want to get closer to God. Not see how close to sin or the line you get. In our text, in verse 17, Peter reminds us that God doesn't play favorites. And remember that the Heavenly Father, to whom you pray, has no favorites. He will judge or reward us according to what you do. So we must live in reverent fear during the time we have here as temporary residents. That he's going to judge us according to what we do or what we didn't do. This is an inescapable reality of the scripture. Ephesians 5, 5 and 6, you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will enter the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to exercise, uh, those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall upon those who disobey. We are masters of self-justification. We can justify anything. We can. We are amazing ability to do something and say, "Oh, well, I'm okay because of." But let's ask the question that Peter is asking: Does it please God? Do your words please God? Do your does your entertainment please God? Does your Reading, please God. Does your prayer life please God? Holiness was preached and contended for in revivals. You go back and look at Azusa Street. You go back and look uh, at other revivals that happen. Holiness was put out there. This is something we have to have. How do you treat others? For you will be treated as others treat you. The standards that you judge is the standards that you will be judged. 
It's amazing how in human nature we can easily point our finger and then justify ourselves, overlook our problems, talk about them. Talks about living in reverent fear, or the other term is to live carefully. You know, I was, there's an article that just came out that your smart TV is watching you. Many know that Google and Facebook and Instagram and all of these other YouTube, they all track you. I mean, just look up something. I'm convinced Siri and is listening whether you have Siri on or not. My wife and I started trying that. We started just talking about cruises to see if we'd get advertisements for cruises. And we just never stayed with it because we really both don't want to go on a cruise. But anyway. But, you know, you do a web search. You ever search for something and then the next, that's all you get for articles and, and, and advertisements on all your websites? Like, I just bought a couple of suits from Men's Warehouse. And that's all I get now is Men's Warehouse advertisements. That and Sweetwater, which is a music store. I guess they do know me. But anyway. So is smart TVs. It actually goes on to say that uh, in this article that one such vendor, Sam, uh, Samba TVs, entice their users with following verbiage to interact with their favorite shows, to get uh, re- recommendations based on the content that they love. And what they're actually doing is, is setting themselves up for targeted advertisement. People get upset about that, like, oh, Google or Facebook, now the television, whatever, they're all watching, oh my gosh. God's been watching for a long time. God sees, God knows, and there is no opt-out button. Oh, I can opt out of holiness. It's not there. This goes into how you dress. You know, I got to Lithuania, and there was just one guy who was driving me. Not, he was unclean. I found out later he's committing adultery. It just came out. But he would wear foul T-shirts, advertisements of Jack Daniels or Camel cigarettes. And I'm like, dude, you're a Christian. He goes, yeah, but they don't know that here. They don't know what these are here. I'm like, you do. This isn't what other people know. You could just tell there was a lack of holiness in his life. Holiness can be measured. And someday you're going to give an account. That's what Peter says. There's an old rocker, David Crosby. He passed away, I think it was Thursday of this week. Oh, no, Wednesday he passed away. Wednesday, or he passed away Thursday, yes. On Wednesday, he, tw- he tweeted this rather scary tweet. Heaven is overrated. Died the next day. I bet if we asked him right now... He'd have a different change. Hebrews 9.27 
And each one will give an, each person is destined to die. And once and after that comes the judgment. There's a judgment coming. Peter says in our text, for good or for bad. For good, if you're living a holy life. For bad, if you're not. He'll reward you, or he he will judge or reward you according to what you have done. Judge is bad, reward is good. Let's talk finally then about the hope. Because that's a heavy pill to swallow right there. Holiness. Because we're human. Billy Graham was asked why he had never gotten caught up in any of the scandals. In the 1980s and 90s, there were numbers of television evangelists that were falling. Jimmy Swaggart, Jimmy Baker, numbers of them were falling and immoral and all sorts of things. And uh, others were there too. And Billy Graham was asked by Time Magazine, why is it that you don't? And others do. He said, I can't tell you about others. But I can tell you that I repent often. That's how he said, I keep myself. He talked about standards he had. He doesn't, you know, wouldn't be alone with a woman or these kind of things. Peter writes and says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save us from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with merely gold or silver, which lose their value, but the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb. So let's think about what Peter's saying here. He's saying, your life worth not much. His life, perfect. And he traded perfect for you. That's how much he loves you. What Peter is getting at here is the love of God. Romans 5.8 For God showed his great love for sending Christ to die for us while we were yet still sinners. We were we offended God. We did things to God that were, you know, and others most of us aren't proud of. And God still loved you. He still cared for you. He still put everything out there for you. And that's Peter's motivation. He says, you know what, live holy. You know why? Because Jesus died for you. Shed his blood for you, for me. Why me? Why, why would he? He didn't have to save me. He didn't have to save you. He could have let us just go on our way to a devil's hell. The destruction of sin. He didn't have to go to the cross. He didn't have to go that route. He could have simply just said, you know what? Que sera, sera. I don't know if French was around then, but he could have said that anyway. And just said, whatever. 
Go your way. But he didn't. He stopped us. He redeemed us. He's intervened in our lives. Paul writes it this way. My old self has been crucified. This is Galatians 2.20. With Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He loves you. If you haven't felt the love of God for a while, you need to come and ask him for it. Because that's on you. That's not on your husband, your wife. It's not, I can't make you feel the love of God. You've got to get close to God. You've got to go to God and experience that yourself. It's not going to happen just by magic. Just like any other relationship doesn't happen just by magic. I have a very good friend. His name is Chris Seeley. Chris Seeley, is past, he's uh, on staff in Waltham Forest, the leadership church in London, England. He's just a very good friend of mine. He was in Ireland for a while when I first got there. And uh, we hit it off. But one of the reasons we hit it off so well is we have a mutual friend, Alan Taylor. Alan Taylor, is he, w- he was in Belfast for a long time. He just took over the church in Norwich, England. Great couple. We, we managed to get together, just the four of us, to, uh, him and his wife, Karen, my wife, uh, for dinner. It was a great time. Just good, good friends for years. But he kept telling me, you're going to meet Chris, you're going to love him. You're going to, he's a great guy, you're going to love him. He's a great guy, you're going to love him. And he kept telling Chris about me and, you know, that he was going to like me and all this kind of thing. And so when we met, it was just natural. But then Chris and I, we were introduced by Alan. But then Chris and I had to maintain a relationship. We had to keep that. And one time my wife and I were flying somewhere and we had a, I had a five or six hour layover in London, Heathrow Airport. I called Chris. I'm like, hey, I'll, if you come to the airport, I'll buy you lunch. So he did. We got pictures. He looks all great because he had just showered that morning. I'm getting off a transatlantic flight and I'm not looking real fresh and, you know, but it was great to see him and Angela. You can be introduced to Christ. But then it is up to you to maintain your relationship. How do you do that? Holiness. See, holiness is not this mystical rules. It's doing what pleases God. It's saying, God, I love you and I want to make you happy. What must I do To make you pleased with me. It's fun to watch young couples as they begin to court and date. Their relationship will involve because they're going out of their way to please. Sometimes to even hide their own flaws, which, you know, it's kind of funny. You know, dating, you're supposed to try to discover who they are and yet... (laughs) We spend our whole dating time trying to cover up some of our flaws. But anyway, that's just comes from counseling people after a while. 
But the reality of Jesus accepting you and you wanting to please him. To do what pleases him. That's holiness. It's not just rules. That's why if you have the checklist, you're missing it. That's a job. That's just a job. You just go, I did this task, I did that task, I did this task. I'm okay. That's not a relationship. That's why Peter puts this in here. Be holy. Why? He died for you. He shed his precious blood for you. It washes. It forgives. It heals. It changes. It's not just simply rules or opinions. It's pleasing God. Ephesians 1 7. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with blood of his son and forgave our sins. That's someone I want to please. That's someone I want to be happy with me. He was the perfect Lamb of God. We looked at this. In the Passover Sunday school we just did a couple weeks ago on that feast, that he was the Lamb of God, the perfect, the spotless one, sinless one. That we should be in awe of who he was, that he gave himself for me. There was a group, a Christian group called Down Here, They did a song for Christmas and they said, What king would leave his throne and die for me? And yet that's what we have. And he was perfect. He was clean when we were unclean. He was good when we were bad. He cared for us that much. Maybe you haven't been holy. Maybe you haven't been acting like you should. The good news is God restores. Peter's writing to a people that know Christ and he has to encourage them again. Time to time we have to be encouraged. Reminded, brought back to this. Rekindled. In 2002, the New York Metropolitan Art Museum had a sculpture, it was Tielo Lombardi's sculpture of Adam. He had had, they had had a number, he, this uh, Italian sculptor had made a number of pieces. And uh, it was kind of interesting, they weren't just, um, it, it had the, a tree trunk and Adam holding a piece of fruit and a serpent and a grape. And these were also a little damaged. They, Eve was not damaged in, in the uh, in the statues. But what had happened is, it was kind of a fluke. At first, they thought someone had broken in and and had damaged these. But then they began to realize and look 
that there was a, a what had happened is that the plywood that the thing was on it, it shifted all of a sudden and as it, so Adam fell and his arms and his legs were broken off priceless piece of work ruined when they looked at it they began to think there's a, 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 the Harold Holzler who's the spokesman for the museum he says we think we have a good chance of returning the statue to public view with no signs of visible destruction to the untrained eye. They began to work to restore this statue. And it took a while. But they very painstakingly put Adam back together. And by 2014, they were able to display. And they actually called the display in the New York Metropolitan Museum of Art, a masterpiece restored. That's what God will do. If you've lost your sense of holiness, you can come to God and He can restore you. He can restore you so well that to the untrained eye, no one would ever know. You might know the cracks are there. You might know that the problems are there. But God can do a work in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives that restore us. We are called to holiness, but not because of a checklist, because of a relationship, because of a God that loved you so much that he said, I'd die for you. I'd shed my blood for you. And then if you're broken, he can restore you. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. One thing sin does is destroys. It breaks. Damages, because we live the way we want to live. And it doesn't work. And so for some strange reason, we think then we have to try harder at this sin that's not working. It must be that we didn't try hard enough or we didn't do it enough or we didn't go deep enough so we dig it deeper and deeper and deeper. But Jesus Christ looked at a sin-filled world, a world that has no chance of making heaven on their own. And he said, I'm going to go and I'm going to help. I'm going to die for them. I'm going, to sh- I'm going to trade my life for theirs. The judgment, the death, the penalty that should have been on our life was on His. He took the sins of the world upon Him. Your sins, my sins, everyone's sins. And shed His blood for that. The perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb of God. That's how much he loves you. And if you've never received him in your heart and in your life, then maybe it's time that you say with an honest heart, I'm not right with God. I'm not saved or I'm backslidden. And I need to come to Jesus. I need to get my heart right with God. If that's you, slip up your hand. Pray for me. I need to get my heart right with God. 
I need Jesus Christ to help me. Very quickly, slip up your hand. Put it right back down. Changing the call then to Christians. If you love God because he loved you, and the Bible says he loved us first, do you treat that which he calls holy, holy? Because he says that you and I should be holy. The Holy Scriptures, the Holy Tide, the Holy Assembly, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Body, the Temple of God. If we treat those like we should, God will help us. Because that's not out of rules, but out of relationship. Out of an awe and a sense and a wonder that Jesus died for me, I should live for him. Let's all stand. We're going to open up these altars, allow people to talk to God, find a place to pray. We're going to sing that song, Touch Spirit, Touch Your Church. Lord, we need your grace and time let your rain let your rain fall on let's worship him and give him praise father we love you god we exalt you
thank God.